training facility where we talk about fighting training and events it's the fight mixer show where you can hear about all the local and world combat sports happenings get ready it's time to gear up and square up because we're going live live on the fight mixer show Welcome to another edition of the Late Night. You're here, without further ado, you're here with MMA legend, or wrestling legend, obviously NCAA legend, a legend in so many different factors and so many different categories, the man himself, Dan the Beast Severin. What's going on, brother? I tell you what, just another beautiful day in the neighborhood, you know, what can you say? You are actually the first in-studio guest. So what, what brings you to Florida? What, what's going on in Florida right now? Well, basically, um, I, I did a tour. Um, when I say I did a tour, I, I had, I think, four or five uh, similar set up uh, four or five months back, kind of at the beginning of the summer months uh, around that uh, May, June uh, time frame. And things went so well that so many other people contacted me and like going, when are you going to be back down again? I said, well, let's just set up them for fall. And so I set on up thinking, well, I'll just pick up maybe another four or five, but uh, I'll be uh, in the state for the, basically the next uh, eight days doing something every single day. Are you doing seminars or what exactly are you doing? Com- combination of both, seminars and speaking engagements. But when, when it comes to seminars, I, I do a number of different things. Like I, on, on this basic uh, trip, uh, our tour, I should say, I, I'd be predominantly anything that involves, say, MMA or submission grappling. I think there's a couple of things that actually involve amateur wrestling. So those are most of the things that are my wheelhouse, but I'm also, most people don't realize that I actually have a, a background where I'm involved in law enforcement, corrections, air marshal, border patrol, and uh, military. Each of these uh, different uh, uh, sectors, they have uh, a ground components to them. And uh, for some of them, I was brought in as a subject matter expert in the very beginning to help them put together the, the beginning of their ground program. And even though, you know, when President Trump was in office, uh, he actually signed in uh, additional monies towards law enforcement for additional training. And all these they were certified ground combatants type programs, and yours truly has one of those certified ground combatants programs. And you have so much to, to lend to uh, law enforcement, especially because you know you're uh, you're a fifth degree black belt in judo, fourth or fifth degree, uh, second degree black belt in jiu jitsu, and two time All American in NCAA, NCAA wrestling, uh, freestyle or Roman Greco wrestling. Correct me on that. Uh, all good enough. Good enough. Correct. Um, yeah, no, and, yeah, but but kind of, when it comes to the, the various things, like when it comes to the martial arts world. Um, 
those are all honorary degrees. I always tell people I did take a judo class at Arizona State like my, my freshman year. I, uh, I, I went to college for all the wrong reasons. I was a very successful high school wrestler, and I just wanted to test myself against uh, college elite uh, athletes. And uh, so my, my, my freshman year, if you saw all the classes I took, there was no graduation in Dan Severn's future. Everything I took my very first semester was to make me the ultimate wrestler. I took a nutrition class so that I knew that everything that was put into my body, I was going to make me a lean fighting machine. Uh, I took a judo class so that I could learn to use my legs like a second pair of arms. I took a weightlifting uh, class so I could design programs specifically for the sport of uh, wrestling. And uh, I mean, literally all of this stuff worked out because uh, my freshman year I had probably one of the most Cinderella seasons of any true freshman ever. Uh, I went 34 and 0, uh, 24 pins. I set, uh, I think, a couple of different NCAA records, uh, and I basically pinned five out of the six NCAA place finishers that year before a knee injury sidelined me. So here I am, uh, about the uh, 18 years of age, and I'm sitting in front of this orthopedic surgeon, and he says, basically, you're done. You will never wrestle again. He says, you'll probably never walk right again. So obviously, I defied those options. I retired him and probably two additional orthopedic surgeons. And even the last guy I had, uh, I mean, he's been long retired, but uh, you know, he had both my knee x-rays up on, on, the, on his wall right there. And he's pointing to stuff. He goes, you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. He goes, you do not have any anterior tissue ligaments. He goes, you got bone chips, bone spurs, arthritis, advanced arthritis. He points at one spot there. He goes, he goes, hell, I don't even know what that is right there. And I look at the doc, look at me. I'm moving in my groove, and I'm kind of dancing around the room and stuff like that. And he's like, oh, boy, the problem the only thing is holding you together is your muscular structure. And I'm like, hold it right there, doc. So you're saying that my curse in life is to work out for the rest of my life? I'll take that curse because most people are so lazy they're not going to work out in the first place. <laughs> Crazy. And, and, and it goes without saying, too, of how much of a freak of an athlete you really were because not only in wrestling were you an Olympic in 1984, but you were also a Sambo champion. And remember, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm just nerding out here, but a Sambo champion. And you also won a championship in judo before you got had to go into UFC in 1994. Is that correct? Yeah, okay. Funny part about that, I couldn't have spelled the word Sambo before you had that time. I never took a single class in Sambo. I wow. showed up to the Sambo National Championship. I mean, I waited, I showed up. I didn't even own a Sambo gi. I saw another guy, uh, you know, roughly my size. I might go, on, uh, hey, uh, buddy, uh, do you mind if I borrow your uh, Sambo jacket for a few matches? And I ended up winning it by doing a double leg takedown and a technique called the ankle lace. But in the Sambo world, they had never seen the ankle lace. It's a freestyle wrestling technique that I teach to children. But again, that's where I'll, I'll say that, that that term mixed martial artists, you know, it, it really came more about in the uh, 
as I say, the early 2000s, around that 2004, 5, 6, right in that region when Jeff Blatnick was helping the Ultimate Fighting Championships to convert more from the, the no-host bar to more to the mixed martial arts so that more states open up and become more acceptable because it wasn't just barbarics or, you know, now you have all these various martial arts uh, elves competing underneath one roof. So... Yeah, I mean, Jeff, even even Jeff Latnick, Jeff Latnick had a Greco-Roman wrestling background. I've known Jeff from probably the, the mid-80s. Uh, we were on various teams together. We were at various camps training together. We've actually stepped on the mat and banged heads together in competition. So I've known Jeff for a long time, and it was kind of ironic. We were back, both back in a uh, at a uh, MMA show somewhere back in New York at the time. He was from there. He, and so we're both sitting out in the uh, audience, and... He, here he is going, he's reminiscing, thinking about memory lane. He goes, Danny, because it's hard to believe that. So we've known each other for all these uh, decades. Yeah, they, they say, sure, we, we banged heads a few times. We've done this, we've done that. And he goes, and he goes here we are. He goes, I'm on the outside of the cage. I'm helping them get, get this thing from going from barbaric to, uh, you know, acceptable type of a sport. And then here you are still, and they're doing it. <laughs> and that was the sad the sad part was it was just one month before he passed away of a massive heart attack. Well, yeah. rest in peace uh, to him. Oh, Gabe, what a loss! Jeff was such a great guy. Um, I, I got to know Jeff over the years uh, when he was commentating for the WEC. Uh, just an exceptional, exceptional person. Remember, he would wake up before the uh, before the show would start, and he would uh, get uh, together to get some mat time in. I mean, really, just a, a constant professional and just a guy who loves the sport. You know, I mean, like whether it was uh, wrestling, MMA, NHB, like Jeff was a real one. I, mean, I, I miss that guy a lot. And I, well, I, I think it kind of made his heart do well because he saw how the sport of wrestling did prevail quite well. But, but again, you, you got to look at just the, the skill sets of what, what came to the table. Uh, I mean, rest, wrestling. It teaches you a great deal about body positioning, body control. It doesn't teach you to strike. It doesn't teach you to submit people with submissions. But uh, those two elements of body positioning, body control, and to force someone against their will through principles of leverage. Uh, uh, Probably a more appropriate word for leverage is leverage equals or legalized pain I can put you into, the more you're going to be willing to do for me. Well, I still and, feel and that I still feel today that wrestling is the medium that is most needed. Well, if you're a striker, you're striking people on the feet, on the feet, you know, and so you need to have counter wrestling. And the ability, a jitsu guy now. Admittedly, uh, there was a, a time that you could fight off your back, but that's not as realistic as it once was. Um, being the top player and being able to dictate where the fight goes is huge. Yes. I always, say, I always tell people that where would you rather be? On top, raining down? Or would you rather be on bottom, trying to rain up? I Correct. Would, you know, gravity alone. Newton gravity that you better be on top, raining down. 100%. It, it goes... And it goes without saying, too, uh, because you were one of the first great wrestlers to go into the UFC. Like, you paved the way, and you were way before, like, Don Fry, Mark the Hammer Coleman, Kevin Randleman. The dominance of wrestling 
essentially started with you and all the way to Ultimate 95 when you won your first tournament title. Like, it, it, you know, I, 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 I can't say it enough of how much of an innovator you were. Do you feel that, like, just looking back on your career, that you were the guy to pave the way that all these great wrestlers and you opened the floodgates and all these great wrestlers would come in seeing how great you did? Well, I, I did not really realize that until I'll say a little bit later or through my career. Um, when I, you know, to, to educate the folks that are, that are watching right now, I didn't know that the UFC even existed. Because you got to understand, pay-per-views were only being played in major metropolitan areas. So like in a state like Michigan, where, where I was living at the time, you know, they might be playing this in, in the Lansing area. They might be playing it in the Detroit area. But here I live out in little Coldwater, Michigan. I don't know this state exists. So it wasn't until a friend of mine uh, basically showed me this old VHS tape and said, hey, you want to think about doing this. And I've, I've seen people being soccer kicked in the face. I've seen teeth flying out. out. And I'm going, you know, these aren't exactly uh, skill sets that I possess. But then he said, hey, look at this skinny little guy doing jujitsu. Of course, he was referring to Hoist Gracie. And I kept thinking, well, I, I, I've already had a little bit of background with uh, some judo, some sambo, stuff like that. I'm thinking, well, a guy could be out there doing his own submission grapple with, with, with his gi or stuff like that. You know, a striker a striker has to be within punching range, arms reach in order to punch me. Uh, a kicker's got to be within legs range in order to kick me, knee me, elbow. And I always think I just... My thought pattern was I'll just stay a little bit outside of their range, play the game of uh, bait here right now, and then as they commit the things, I'll, I'll get into clinch positions, or I'll jam them up against the cage wall, or I'll take them down. And, and literally, that little thought pattern I had served me very well for a 20-year career. And, and uh, did, did you have any contact with, like, uh, Dave Schultz or, like, uh, Kevin Jackson? Because those guys were – the Olympic gold medal, the, the big Olympians uh, that yeah. came sort of wrestling to uh, UFC. Did they ask for feedback before entering to the UFC? Yeah, I mean, they're actually, they're, they're, they're younger than what I am, but I, I know everybody talks about, I've actually been on different teams with Dave, Dave Schultz at the time. I mean, unfortunately, you know, Dave Schultz is no longer with us. He got uh, uh, shot down as part of a Team DuPont uh, uh, tragedy for our uh, box catcher. But... Uh, I, I mean, I know, I know Kevin Jackson. I, I know actually a few of his other brothers and that. So, I mean, you know, the, the wrestlers did well. Dave, uh, Dave, uh, Dave Schultz was just an incredible overall athlete. Right. I think oh, I met Mark Schultz. I think I met yeah. Mark Schultz. I'm so yeah. sorry about Mark, that. Yeah, Mark Schultz. Yeah, Mark Schultz uh, the, the thing about Mark Schultz was Mark Schultz was actually working with, uh, I think it was with, with Gary Goodrich at the time. Gary Goodrich got hurt. And then literally in this old-fashioned thing where he was like uh, – the second he actually just asked, he goes, "Can I take his place?" And literally, that's that's what uh, that's what Mark did. But I mean, Mark Mark was a world champion, Olympic champion. I mean, Mark, Mark was very incredible. But the ironic part was, Mark was also a very skilled gymnast. Right. Wow, for his size, that that's impressive. But I think what I think what I, I'm sorry, I mean to to, to speak to you, but what I think was what what Dave was asking was, did any wrestlers come to you because you were the first? wrestler to get into mma or to get into nhb oh. at that time did anybody come to you and be like hey dan what yeah. is the stuff 
You've yeah. done this. You've already been involved in it. Can you give us some insight into this world prior to getting into the cage? One of the first people was like a Don Fry. Uh, you know, for, for example, Don, Don Fry was one of my wrestlers when I was coaching at Arizona State University. And he actually lived with a couple of my younger brothers. So I knew Don more, more like a brother. Uh, Don just had a little bit of a falling out with the head coach at the time. And basically, Don left Arizona State, went out to Oklahoma, and finished out his uh, amateur wrestling career on a collegiate level. But then also, he started getting involved in the sport of boxing. So Don actually came back uh, a much more complete competitor than what I was because he had stand-up ability, but he also had the wrestling ability. But uh, one of the things Don also had... I'll simply just say it. He had this attribute of being, how do I say this nicely? A bonehead. <laughs> he, he, he literally was that guy that, uh, there, was, there was a couple times where, I mean, as the assistant wrestling coach at ASU, I would be out with the young guys. And right. so they'd be out there drinking in bar and, and they're trying to pick out the ladies and things of that nature. And I'm just making sure that all my chicklets, you know, are all going to make it back home. And, and one piece, and so there'd be a couple of times where, where okay, people are, are wanting to fight some of the wrestlers. So as they're heading outside, this was back there in this era where you could actually step outside, thump each other a little bit, and then you know let my guys do my guys, and life goes on. But uh, there was a few times when uh, Don, that was you know, one of those was it. Situation where I'm walking out, and now a couple of the, uh, the, the other friends of the other girl he's about to fight, they're like, Oh, dude, you're not gonna be jumping in. And I go, Oh, no, 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 oh, I, trust me, I, I don't need to jump in here at all. He will be just fine. I'm just here to make sure none of y'all is gonna be jumping in. He's okay, he's good to go. You both had you both had the badass mustaches. I well, was both uh, you guys in the yeah. same room, hell no, never I, ironically, though, though. I'll say I have a I have a civilized look of mustache. God's got this bush whacker, uh, you know, uh, yeah, scrub brush there that uh, yeah took straight over his face. But the thing that that I don't ever remember was where did this gravel voice come from? Man? Because he never had that when he was a wrestler at Arizona State. This guy, it's like he always comes up and they go, "What did your testicles finally drop?" And this is the voice that you have you know what? You know? <laughs> and um, and around this time too, you were talking about how people were saying how uh, violent the UFC was. Around this time too, you also debuted in professional wrestling for the NWA, became a champion there for pro wrestling. And also, people don't mention this enough, but you were at the very first Pride FC in Japan, Pride One. So, uh, was was the UFC kind of faltering because of state uh, senators? banning it was that your motivation and incentive to go into japan and also dabbling into pro wrestling as well well uh, no my my uh, the set the uh, the history records are straight my very first profession was professional wrestling uh, oh. as of the 1992 olympics i mean i had i had some independent professionals approaching me in the 80s but had i turned pro at that point that i would have never been able to continue to do amateur wrestling as of the 1992 olympics a new rule came down for the United States Olympic Committee that allowed athletes to be both amateur and professional simultaneously. That's, that's when we had the dream team, like the basketball teams, stuff like that. Uh, and now we have all these NBA players, 
that are, are playing at, at Dallas and just blowing everybody out. So I turned pro at that point so that I could have my cake and eat it too. So I could be a professional wrestler. I was at the, I would say like a wrestler and then there's amateur wrestling, there's professional wrestling, you know, so Vince McMahon in the world of hocus and pocus. So, <laughs> but, I mean, but, but you know, I, I say it like that, but at the same token, I always tell people that don't use the word fake. There might be a predetermined outcome. It's a show. These these men and women, they're actors or actresses. But they're also incredible athletes because all the things that they're doing, they're, they're doing incredible athletic maneuvers without the aid of a safety net. And I always tell people that, because you know, a lot of times when I travel, I travel with two of the most recognizable belts in the world. I travel with one of the UFC belts. I travel with one of the NW belts. And they all understand what the UFC is. But then when they see NWA wrestling, they're like, oh, what's that? I go, what? Just like what you see on television with the, with the WWE or something like that. And like, well, then they all say the fake stuff. I go, I said, well, I said, you understand what this other belt is. I go, why is it that I've been hurt far worse than my professional wrestling days than I have been in all my UFC belts or, or, or MMA matches combined? And, and actually, that, that is a fact. And I remember, I remember back in uh, I, it was the late '90s, um, and, and this is what got me to uh, WWE and watching WWF was Mike Tyson getting involved, you getting involved, Ken Shamrock getting involved, and all these great wrestlers, uh, mixed martial arts or and boxers turning over to like the WWE. What I noticed too, you also continued fighting. Like, how did you get involved with Vince McMahon? Going to the WWF, where it was the biggest era, the, the the big MMA boom of the '90s, and also were able to continue uh, your mixed martial arts career. Yeah, well, it was again that, that whole era was known as the Attitude Era. Uh, yeah. WWF was competing against WCW. WCW was basically kicking Vince's butt in the, the weekly ratings. So they were pushing the envelope. They were pushing the limits of censorship and that. And you had you had some really over-the-top uh, uh, characters. I mean, uh, WCW had Goldberg, and uh, WWF had Gilbert. You know, just total opposites of physiques, or Goldberg was like a mythical monster, and Gilbert went out there, and it looked like he had like a, a dump in his uh, shorts and stuff like this, but Gilbert never won a single match, you know, where Goldberg destroyed everybody, you know? So, I mean, there was, there was some really funny characters taking place. And I think it was a, probably a real magical time to be involved in me being very new to professional wrestling. I guess I did not realize how much input and or say so I would have in my character or my future. Uh, I just know that uh, they used me really well at the beginning. And then all of a sudden, I, 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 I again, I speculated, I think they were afraid to put a belt or title on me because I had no restrictions. I could yeah. wrestle for anybody, including their arch rival, WCW. I was I was still working for the NWA at the time. And literally, the NWA wanted to put me under the exclusive contract. I had no exclusive contract with them. So I was working for several different organizations on top of working for the UFC. And then also, I was not exclusive to the UFC. And I worked for any other uh, a case fighting company. So I, when I and, tell people that I live, I mean, literally sitting here at my desk, uh, sitting on the desk right here, I, I live, this is kind of like, I tell people, this is like my Bible. I live out of a 
uh, out of a planter. I've lived out of a planter since my junior year in high school. Originally, that was for all the amateur wrestling that I was doing, camps that were coming up, clinics that were coming up, because my spring, summer, and fall would be, uh, would be like that. I mean, just to give you like an idea, in high school, I played three sports. I was football, wrestling, track. And uh, uh, the, the track coach, he, he just knew that if there was a Friday or Saturday track meet, but if there was also a Friday or Saturday wrestling meet, he was never going to see me. He knew I, I came up for the uh, for the season, really for the cardiovascular training. But then I would always score points from but whether it's the shot, the discus, the shot, actually made the high and low hurdles. And uh, I, ironically, uh, our, our shot put team was actually so fast that uh, instead of running with a baton, we would run with a 12-pound shot put. And we actually beat some teams you know, running and traded off a 12-pound shot put and let the next guy run. Holy crap. Holy shit. No, it's easy. Wow. That, again, that, that was funny. Uh, that that Unbelievable. And, and uh, it goes without saying, too, uh, watching you on television, my favorite storyline in WWF, and going back to using you properly, favorite storyline was you, Steve Blackman, Owen Hart, and The Rock. You you had some great matches with The Rock, too. I believe it was King of the Ring 1998. I remember watching you. Uh, yeah, I basically only really had one, one, one match with uh, with The Rock right there, and, and that was uh, during that time frame. But there was Steve Blackman, Ken Shamrock. Owen Hart and myself that kind of get thrown into it. There was like, you know, time that there was a, a match at the uh, the Hart residence, uh, a dungeon match where it was Owen Hart versus Ken Shamrock. I'm the special guest referee. And then they, then, then they flip-flopped around. Now there's going to be a Lion's Den match. And it's Ken Shamrock versus Owen Hart again. I'm the special guest referee. And it just, you know, the thing I did like most about doing the dungeon match was this was actually held at the Hart residence. So while the camera crew, lighting crew, sound crew are setting up all of their lights and sound and things of that nature, uh, I, I actually was upstairs in the living room and I was talking to Stu Hart, the father. And so to be sitting up there for about three hours, I mean, some people must have told them a little, a little bit about who I was and I was going to be coming to their home there soon because he asked me some very specific questions. And I, I had a great conversation with him. And it was like a few weeks later that I happened to be at another one, one of the Monday Night Raws, and Owen came up to me, and he goes, hey, uh, Dad, because uh, he says, here, my dad wanted me to give you this. It was an Owen Hart T-shirt, but it was signed by Stu Hart. He goes, my, my dad doesn't have those T-shirts, but he goes, he wanted you to have this. So I thought, well, that was pretty cool. Awesome. Awesome. And, uh, and I'll, I'll kick it back to Gabe, and I'm so sorry for, for nerding out. I warned him beforehand. I would uh, nerd out and ask you a bunch of questions. But, you no, know, my, my, my professional career, I mean, I, I've, I've actually I've enjoyed it for the most part, and I still do a token professional match still to this day. So I, I enjoy it for, for what it is and for uh, some of the people I've had the, the honor and privilege to work with because I've, I've stepped in the ring with some, some really uh, legends of the sport. Right, and, and going back to your Wikipedia, also, um, you were also mentoring uh, guys like uh, Sean, uh, Sean Shirk, uh, Quentin Rampage Jackson, Rashad Evans. Um, yeah, going well, back Rashad, Rashad, there's a great story because Rashad Evans was just a wrestler at Michigan State University when he first came to me. And then he actually had a tournament, so he started coming down training uh, at my, my training center in Coldwater, Michigan. 
and then uh, ended up, uh, I, that's what I think it was King of the Cage or, or some one of those companies like that. That uh, there's an eight-man tournament taking place, and he was going heavyweight at the time, uh, and he asked me if I'd come out to a corner. So I went with him. They, they had an eight-man tournament taking place. His first match, he ended up getting his eyebrow cut open, and. Uh, you know, I was like, oh, he was doing so well. It's too bad he's going to be out. And I'm, I'm saying to myself, he'll be back. And uh, <laughs> I, I'll just simply say that I put his eyebrow back together. And they're all looking at me like, how'd you do that? I go, Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> and they all became world champions. Uh, Gabe, you have a question? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm just uh, kind of interested in the, the, the way your conversation is going. I don't have uh, I, I don't have nearly the knowledge that uh, David does. Um, so well, I'm you, gonna say, you don't have to say you know, just the professional wrestling world. There's 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 dance the amateur wrestler, dance the professional wrestler. There's dance over the MMA, HAB, NHB uh, competitor. There's there's dance the farm boy. Yeah, I, I <laughs> I'm, I'm not a pro wrestling guy. I don't know anything about pro wrestling, I, and I apologize for that. Um, oh, you know, I, I apologize. I will say I will say that. Uh, the first MMA match that I ever watched uh, was UFC 4 um, when I was 16. A friend of mine in, in, invited me over to his house, and, and I got to watch uh, your match uh, against uh, Hoist. Uh, and uh, that was... Well, uh, again, you, you probably watched my very first match. I made a very good first match impression. I, listen, I, I, this is the first no. So, so this is the first live. I'd actually watched uh, the videos at, at Blockbuster, and then uh, you know I went to my buddy's house to watch uh, on on uh, on Dish. It was on a, actually on a, on a on a Dish back in the day. But uh, um, did they have the black box with the Dish? Uh, I can't confirm or deny if he had the black box. I, uh, yeah. I, I had more. I had more people say, box. you know, Dad, I'm sorry that we had the black box and you didn't get your 1495. I go, dude, I didn't get that 1495 anyway. <laughs> yeah, no matter what, you were getting, you were getting a cut of it no matter what. <laughs> so, um, I'm, I'm more curious about the, the here and the now. So, you're doing these seminars. You're you're, you're teaching. Um, you're doing uh, law enforcement. You're doing MMA. Um, is that the, the the course of what you're doing? Because I know that you did you had a promotion for a while. Yeah, yes, I did. Okay. I had my old, I held the old NHB promotion. I also had my old mixed martial arts promotion. Because I so tell you... people, who knows more about the sport, a financial owner or an actual athlete that has done it? And name me any owners that actually have stepped out there in that cage and done it. Not very many. Nope. Not very, very few. You know what? I get Big John McCarthy and I, we've had many, many conversations over the years. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I get to, to tell you like a story or two. The first time I ever met Big, Big John was inside the Octagon, UFC number four. He comes out of he starts talking, very authoritative. He's got his, his stick down, what he's going with. And then he, at the end of when he's getting done, he's like, are there any questions? Just pause for a moment. Then he turns to you, then he turns to your, your corner person to go through a stick with him. So it's the first time I'm going to this. He hits me at that line. Are there any questions? I can't think of anything. But as he's turning away to talk to my corner person, a goofy little thought comes into my mind, and I simply say, where did all that money go that my parents paid for piano lessons? And he said that he heard it, but when he turned back and looked at me in the face, I had my game face on. So it's kind of like he didn't think it came out of my, my, my mouth. Well, eight-man tournament, so... 
I see him for round number two. He comes up, starts seeing the exact same thing. I know it's about to come. He hits with the line. Are there the questions? I go, yes. If you just give me the winning lotto ticket numbers, I would have to do this. He looks at me dumbfounded like, this is the same crazy cat that said the last little one line right there. And, you know, his wife, Elaine, was the, the travel coordinator. And he's telling his wife that this guy's crazy. He's out to pull off one-liners before this barbaric event takes place. But then they come to, to, to get to know me. I go out to dinner with him and the, and the family and stuff like that. And he just know that I'm just a relaxed person. You know, that's part of my my, my character to, to, to the point that I've actually carried out a couple of conversations with John while engaging in my match. And there was even at one time that, again, I, I, well, one of the matches I had with Ken Shamrock where, he, where Ken had a full mount for like, I don't know, five or six minutes. He had a full mount on top of me, and yet he's not able to generate any damage to me because literally I'm holding on the back of his lat so that the moment that he tries to raise on up, I hold on. I parasite to him, say, a nice to tight. So he's almost like doing a push-up, trying to lift me up off the ground. But I say, a nice to tight to her. He can't hit me with anything. A glancing blow at the best. And I see Big John's feet that are standing right next to me. And just out of shits and giggles, I pop up from underneath him, look right back up up to him. I go, it's a hell of a way to make a buck. And pop right, pop right back underneath. He looks at me like, dumbfounded, like, you know, it just, it just, he just can't believe I could be that composed. But it also, it freaked Ken out. And when he, as soon as I realized it freaked him, I was like, going, oh, time to reversal. And I reversed him, rain down his crate for 45 seconds, and voila. But there's a, a lot of athletes don't understand there's a psychological aspect to the athletic game as well. Most people are good at training a body. This is the greatest tool that they'll ever have. And it's been proven time and time again that you can take equal uh, counterparts of each other. And the more that you can put them in this classroom and they meditate and they study and they make themselves believe in their thought that they're, they're, they're as successful, if not more successful. You know, and I would tell people that when you look at a career like what I had, you know, I think that, what is it? There's only uh, there's only four, five people that have over 100 cage fights, and uh, I'm, I'm one of them. There's only four people that have over 100 victories. I'm one of those. And the right part is I faced the other uh, other three. I beat the other three, and the closest one to my age was eight years, my junior. So I always tell people I started my cage fight career at 37. I worked for 20 years. I go, I'm lifetime chemical free. But the real kicker is I did two training in a 20-year career. Now, when you look at a lot of these guys, they're taking, what, four to six months or more into a training camp. And I did one for 32 days, UFC number five, and 35 days for the ultimate open. That's it. Yeah. And do you um and going back to your legendary career, uh, you know, you, you retired in 2012, 2013, went to the UFC Hall of Fame at UFC 52, yeah. I believe. Um, you, if you look at the athletes now, and you you brought up an point, uh, important topic where it's all about the mental. Uh, you know, is it the the game has strayed towards you know trash talking, getting to your opponent's head. Um, what, what are your thoughts about the current MMA product? And if you were running the show, what would you do different? Um, I'm not a fan of the, the trash talk, especially, I mean, there's one thing that's one thing to get a rise out of someone if you can do it a little bit more intellectually, but to sit out there just simply drop F-bomb after F-bomb, no, 
I mean, to me, into the my own gym, I have a pocket thesaurus I keep up on the shelf. After I hear one of my young competitors, trainees, drop a couple too many F-bombs, I go grab it, and I slam it on their chest, and I go, find me another word that means the exact same thing. I go, you'd be surprised. You actually can curse in public, and people will think you're educated if you simply use a multi-syllable word. It may not have the same zig zig ding ding that that little four little word there has, but you know people will look at you a little bit differently. So I, I just thought uh, you know the the, the, the Conor McGregor's and the, the, the few other people the way that they drop f bombs and you got these uh, you know goofball matches that they're doing with these boxing events and you know MMA guys want to be boxers and things of nature. I go understand what your real house. I, I've had people reach out to me, damn, would you do a boxing match? Nope, it's not my real house. Yeah. Also, I don't need the money that bad. So exactly. There, there, there are a lot of these guys that do it because they need the money, or they know that it'll be a money match. So it, it, it's it, it's always. We were talking about professional wrestling. I always tell people I would still be working for Vince McMahon, and that if money meant that much to me in the first place, because they as a professional wrestler they change the character. You might be a baby face, good guy. You might turn you into heel, the bad guy, or they take you from singles matches to tag team matches, and vice versa. It's just all kinds of things that you can do. Well, I, I was thinking they used me as dancer or the beast from uh, you know Ultimate Fighting Championships. Well, okay, now, now they want to go into uh, they want to be put six 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 across my forehead. Dark of the beast. Why do take right. me to Undertaker disciple stuff like this? And as they're talking to me, I put up my hands like a T and I'm going. Not gonna happen, guys. Not gonna happen. Not, I don't need money that bad, and I, I turned it down. And it, even even Vince said, he goes, "You know how much money you can make doing this?" I go, "Vince, you understand why I'm here." Even the you the UFC ought to be sending royalty checks because look how much notoriety both Ken Shamrock and I got for that company. That company had hundreds of people watching it, not the thousands of people that watch it now. It was between going into professional wrestling that we gave them so much more exposure. But now you're still seeing even fast forward today. There's a lot of MMA guys that they know that I can extend my career now in professional wrestling. Right. And and to your point also, I remember your rivalry with Ken Shamrock in the WWE. I remember your storyline in the WWE. And you barely even talked. You 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 sold that tough guy character. You sold yourself, and that's how guys like me from the attitude area actually remember that storyline. Remember you. Yeah. And back to your topic with Ken Shamrock, it was one of the highest selling pay per views back in the uh, the, the the MMA days before uh, before uh, Zufa took over. It was a, it was a high buy rate when you fought Ken Shamrock. Do you think uh, with MMA fighters nowadays, like the Conor McGregor, the Jake Pauls of the world, do you think it's a lack of creativity to sell yourself beyond the trash talking, or what do you think is the biggest problem or the biggest thing that MMA fighters need to overcome in order to reach like reach people and promote themselves without the, all the the hoopla without the trash talking and all that stuff yeah I, I, I really don't know I, I, I probably really haven't spent that much time really to think about it there but uh yeah for example I'll go back in time and pull out another athlete like a, like a George St. Pierre I always like the way that George St. Pierre how he conducted himself you know he conducted himself with class uh, good interest in getting some trash talking. I mean, he uh, 
he knew that one of the holes in his game was his ground game, but he studied it so hard. He studied the sport of wrestling so hard that literally he could have easily been on the Canadian Olympic wrestling team. And, uh, I, you know, that, that speaks volumes for how what he put into it. I, yeah, I've never met uh, George Hippier, but from everything that I saw on the Internet or what I saw in, in live matches, I just I, I like how he portrayed himself. Again, a lot of the newer viewers, they're not going to know who, who he is because only in the United States, we are a very forgetful society in so many different ways. You know, I could go to other countries and they will be gaming me as a god. And uh, any United States is kind of going, who? Yeah, so it's, uh, you know, but that's just, that's America. I mean, but again, 9-11 took place. And people think that, that that was a storybook fable. I mean, I hate to say it like that, but that that's that is the, the thing about America that they are so so forgetful for what has happened. I still think GSB. I think GSB actually still has. As far as personality-wise, I think he had he held the the pinnacle of how a martial artist could be. You yeah, know, we'll get honorable and respectful. People wore a judo gi and, and a belt. So, yeah, no, he, uh, he definitely was exemplified the fact that he was a martial artist. Yeah. Absolutely. Because I've seen both. I've seen people that are, you know, from the martial arts world that uh, claim to be, but, uh, you know, they're, they're more of a street or they were of a, of a martial arts character. So you could, you could see people from both sectors that, yeah, they might have came up with all this proper stuff like this, but they're they're pretty rogue. And then there's other people that came from the from the streets that actually actually will be fine. Then the you know that that the they're all three. They're all three. Right, right. Gotcha. And, I mean, there was times when when I was I was actually using some of the aspects of professional wrestling even in some of my everyday matches because even uh, I I think at the uh, I think it was at the ultimate ultimate where I had all my my crew. We were all dressed out in uh, stars and stripes uh, uniforms, and they had T-shirts uh, dotted out up in their trunks. And then literally, there were four guys that were surrounding me. And then there's one gentleman that was behind me. That was uh, Dennis Carluzzo. He actually was carrying the NWA belt. I actually had to get clearance through the UFC to have a professional belt carried out to the uh, octagon. And again, that was for UFC number five. And I even told my guys, I said, I said you, you guys are the show. I go, I have one mission tonight. I've got to go out there and I got to read it this evening. I said, don't let no one touch me. I said, I got to concentrate. I said, you guys do the show. You do all your stuff. I go, when the tournament's done, we celebrate that. And so they did their job. I did my job. And then it's like, yeah, I'm the first, and I still think all the guy there hold up a professional wrestling belt with the courtesy UFC title belt. <laughs> and I remember you uh, carrying that with uh, Jim Cornette, uh, yeah. out to the, you know, all the all the belts that you had in such a storied career. Why not? Um, and you well, know, well, I mean, Jim, but Jim Cornette was very instrumental on a couple of different occasions there with me. I mean, first off, he was running his own promotion known as Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Yes. He had he had his champion Chris Candido at the time. I don't think Jim knew who I was at all because I, I I was still an unknown. I was only doing just a few matches on the independent scene. Period. Before I started going to Japan, I was working with the UWFI organization, and so that wouldn't have been on the radar of anything inside the United States. 
And then I think Dennis Caluso was the gentleman that called him up and said, hey, pitch this idea for Jim to to say yes to move ahead. But, but Jim, I mean, when you start talking professional wrestling to him, you literally, he is so passionate about uh, that form of entertainment that you could see the child that fell in love with the professional wrestling decades ago. You could see it emerge. He just, he wants to, he wants to, he wants to push a product so good that you want to believe in that product. That, that's what we're, I mean, he, when, when I was there, he was, he, he just butted heads with, uh, uh, with Russo and the creative team, he would come out to me and he just grabbed grab me by the shoulders and said, damn it, no, he says, I can't see all the uh, adjectives, verbs, and adverbs that he uh, would come up with. But he's like, and he goes, this creative team doesn't have a clue as to what to do with you. He goes, he says, you're the greatest thing to ever hit professional wrestling. You're a wrestler who can wrestle. <laughs> he said, you don't say nothing. He goes, just go out there and tie people with knots and just destroy them. And, and, and literally, this was before there ever was a Bill Goldberg. So WWS did miss that opportunity that they could turn me. And, I, and then now on the counterpart of this, I ended up meeting Bill Goldberg. Then uh, I'll say maybe like a year or two after the fact, where I'm out in LA, I meet him and a couple other businessmen at, at a, uh, a a business luncheon. And as we're talking, they're getting to know each other, stuff like that. He kind of reaches over the table, just nudges me at the shoulder and says, hey, thanks. I go, for what? I said, dude, he says, I was you. He says, I watched you in the ultimate fighting chapter. I see you raise your hands, do that crazy eye look on your face, stuff like that. He says, I just portrayed you and some of that stuff. And ironically, it turned out, his move, the spear, was a move that one of my other buddies taught him the, the double takedown. So it's just kind of it's so ironic, a full circle that there are so many people that you know we, we actually had a common ground that I didn't know was working with him at, at the time. So but he, he paid me a nice compliment. Awesome. And what was your, uh, I'll ask one more question and take it back to Gabe, but what was your favorite fight? Because I talked to like Forrest Griffin. I remember back in like 2013, I asked him about, because Forrest Griffin's first fight was against you and, and, and you beat Forrest Griffin. Like, he didn't remember this, but you actually fought Forrest Griffin in IFC. Uh, what was, there's so many fights that you had, over 100, over 100 victories. What was, who was your favorite MMA opponent? The, the, the funny part about that, when, when I was asked about, so how was it fighting Forrest? I go, Forrest? I go, I fought Forrest. And then, <laughs> and then and I was looking at me thinking that maybe I'm a little punch drunk, that I'm taking one, three shots to the head. And I'm thinking, well, I said, uh, I probably beat him because I don't remember. I said, I said, ask me about the losses. I remember all of those. I, I, I know exactly right. at what point I lost the match, whether it was a mental letdown, a strategy type letdown. I asked him about those. But it was, you know, I mean, again, nothing against Forrest because I rock, I've been through the UFC office a number of times, and, and that Forrest has, has greeted me every time. He's been very, very much a gentleman and stuff like that. So I, I, I get along great with Forrest. I mean, I, but I think that I never had any animosity against any of these guys. I didn't have to conjure up the hatred. It's like in a sport of wrestling, I could shake hands with before, I shake hands with the after. No hard feelings was going to happen over the course of the next six minutes, eight minutes, or nine minutes in a freestyle or Greco Woman's type of match. And that's the same way I looked at it. I mean, I mean, I mean truth really be known, the only one per opponent I ever had that had any kind of animosity against would have been a tank app because I watched him right. knock out 40 pound sumo. I see the man lay there convulsing. 
and I see him strike the McGinway, lay their defenses up. They go, oh, I just, I couldn't believe he did something like that. And I said, just in my mind, I'm like, if we should have you in a cage, I said, evil will be got a greater evil. I could conjure up stuff that goes, you can't even thank him. <laughs> uh, favorite opponent? I remember playing with uh, Oleg uh, Turkenhoff. Um, who, who oh, okay. I, I, I wouldn't call that a favorite fight, though. Okay, I, I, I can't come up with nothing to say about about a favorite fight, but uh, I mean, I at, at that point in time, I had been to Russia uh, on a number of different occasions during my amateur wrestling career. The Russians were the number one. one. Uh, most skilled athletes but came this order of wrestling. They were just so so technically strong. Their only cheek in their armor was cardiovascular. So you had to take them into deep water. What it be by deep water, you, you had to take them far into this match. So matches, when I first began, were like nine minutes long, three, three-minute periods, knowing that I'm going to be losing in round one. I'm going to be losing in round two. Maybe by round three, I might start to score some points, and then uh, you know, hopefully we can turn this uh, whole match on over. So, I mean, I, that that I knew about the Russian mentality. So going up against Oleg, all I know is that I got I got a guy from Gorky uh, Park, uh, Russia, and uh, he's uh, a sample practitioner, and I forget what they said that his record was. I simply knew I was up against someone that is not going to stop. I simply knew that I am going to have to half kill a man beat him and literally i did do just exactly that half kill a man in order to beat him because of the the, the, the first match the you see number five I, I was dropping knees on his forehead but if you ever go back to watch that match you'll see uh three distinct times i stopped i look up and think john like why is this match even continuing so much blood was flowing off his forehead his two eye wells were filled he couldn't see me I could drop knees at random, and he would have never seen him coming on in. And even at one point, he turned his head sideways to let the blood run out of Porto's eye, Porto's nose, exposing the temple. It didn't cross my mind, drop a knee now. It's that temple. I'm thinking, but it might kill him. I, yeah. I want to win, but I, want, I don't want to win at this cost. There's a lot of guys that, that will never understand how... Nicely, I took it on. I yeah. took, the only person I've ever was take it. I actually been another. I'll get one other match. I, I I go up against another match down in uh, Kentucky here at some point. I I got this big old hoss, three hundred. Uh, I don't know, three three twenty something like that. He'd been a tough man, uh, finalist, uh, something like that. Big old horse. Yeah. 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 Was his name Bobish by chance? Bobish something was he? No, no, no. no. You're, you're, no, that's somebody outside. Dan Bobish? Yeah, no, uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Dan Bobish, he was from Ohio. You know, that, that was a different person. But, uh, you know, I, oh, okay. I was okay. Like, Dan Bobish is still, still alive. I, get, I, I, don't, I, I haven't heard that name in a while. But, <laughs> but uh, I mean, I've done a down to Kentucky. I mean, the, the guy's name will eventually come, come to me, but uh, uh, he, he just he, he wanted to fight me. And, and, and round number one, I mean, and, and basically, I, I was never known for my stand-up ability, so he he throws a big old haymaker so my kids buzz in to scrab him and basically jammed him in against the cage. And as I got jammed up cage, I never had anyone just mad at me like this. He actually grabs me and just pick you up and just swings me back up against the cage. Whereas I hit the cage, he throws me to like the middle section of the cage. It's like a trampoline. 
I hit and I come right back out. So as I come right back out, I break my knee up and I hit a rate at the you know, stomach right there. It just knocks the wind out. So literally, as I hit him with, with the knee, he lowers weight down to the mat, and then literally, as soon as my, my feet touch, I throw a lateral drop, and I throw right out in the dead center of the cage, and I have a crucifix position out there. And literally, I got my legs wrapped up, one arm, I got a key lock in the other arm, and I raise my fist up, and I just look up at the referee, like, check me. Yeah. Okay, but, okay, referee doesn't stop the match, so I'm just going like this. Hey, Pete, just, you know, little now, and now even, he he my opponent now just yells out, is that as hard as you can hit me, Dan? You know, so I go from pink pink, I go, thunk. No, but why? I mean, it was checkmate, and that's where Mixed Martial Arts NHB has not been around that long. We don't know the long-term effects of what it's going to cause to some of these athletes, Alzheimer's, dementia. It's already happening to a number of these athletes already. Yeah. Uh, even uh, you could be a boxer, you could be an MMA guy that wears even a head kick to where, no, you're not getting the lacerations, you're not sticking to those in that nature, but you're still that gray matter. Each time it gets hit, it gets sloshed. It's sloshed. It's sloshed. It's hard to sloshed so many times before we got a scoop upstairs. I'm just, I, maybe it's because I only did a couple of training camps that uh, I didn't have, I didn't take the punishment that I did. And I was thinking about, I will tell, as more and more time uh, passes, but I've seen more and more athletes that are. Uh, Issues, mentally, physically, and I'm like, well, hopefully, yeah. I dodge bullets. I will tell. Them. Cool. Good. You have a question? Yeah, uh, Dan. Yeah. Are you happy? I'm living the time of my life. Yeah. I yeah. I love what I do. I love traveling. I mean, the fact that I'm down in Florida. I'll be here down in Florida for. Uh, till this uh, coming Monday night, I'll finish up my last summer. Then I gotta back dash right back to uh, Michigan because I gotta close up uh, my uh, summer cottage. I got a few more things I gotta do there. Then uh, I mean, literally this past year, I have lived the lifestyle of a snowbird. So, <laughs> same shorts and t-shirts uh, that I'm wearing in uh, Michigan right now. While it's spring, summer, and it's fall, to start to cool down in the evenings. I'll be headed back up to Arizona, so I'll still be out in the sun and the fun. So I, I, I am, I, I mean, I, I enjoy what I carved out for myself. Good. You're a legend in MMA. You're a legend in pro wrestling. Uh, so we're going to wrap up this show like a Christmas present. Uh, but a, any place that we can find you on Instagram, social media, Facebook, uh, your seminars, when's your next seminar so we can uh, we can tell people to pay a visit. Uh, I'll just say that, I mean, just go to uh, the website at dancever.com. All my social media outlets are there, and there's an email address. I always tell people, respond to me by, by, by email because all the other you know when, when you look at facebook messages and you look at all these uh, other types of uh, social media outlets i'm a, I'm a dinosaur i'm not great with the social media type stuff i do respond to almost all of the, the questions eventually the key word there is eventually so i mean it's uh even on this road trip here right now i've tried to uh i started 
know I, I had a little bit of problems uh, between the, the COVID and uh, having a uh, uh, computer meltdown, trying to be replacement computer during this all this COVID of shortages of everything, everything from toilet paper to computers, and uh, <laughs> you know, so uh, I, I'm still just a couple weeks ago, I, I was still 500 emails behind. Now, when it comes oh, to man. Facebook messages or, or or others, I probably a couple thousand messages behind. So will they get answered? <laughs> oh, eventually. Keyword again, eventually. Because I do get do that stuff because nobody else could really do that for me. They, I, they, I've always been said, well, can't you get an assistant? I go, well, you're gonna, the assistant's going to have to ask me these questions. It's easy for me to grab the keyboard and bang it out, bang it out, bang it out. So Awesome. So we're going to wrap up this show, the Sunday edition of the Fight Mixer. Uh, Gabe, any final thoughts, sir, to my co-host, Gabe? Uh, I'm sure there's plenty more that we can go into, and I appreciate your time, Dan. Uh, Gabe, I appreciate you guys having me out here. It's probably uh, late there in Florida. I'm here on the West Coast, and uh, it's 8.30. So got three hours difference. You'd be surprised. The beast gets up mighty early in the morning, and uh, I burn it pretty late at night because uh, as successful as I like to have been in the cage, I still want to be just as successful in the business sector. All right, my man. That's what I like to hear. All right. Well, uh, thanks for your time. Have a good night. We'll do. Take care. Awesome. So from all of us at Fight Mixer, from myself and Mr. Gabe, and also remember, visit Kajuda MMA and Fitness. You if you want to train, if you want to train with I mean, five-time really. world champion, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Black Belt. I mean, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Black Belt. I mean, I'll be there at 6 a.m. tomorrow. I'll be there at 6 a.m. You know, so it's, uh, you know. Oh, look at that. Beautiful. Yep. All right. Arizona, California, if you want to sign up for classes, be sure to contact this guy. First trial class is for free. Go to kajuja slash MMA.com to sign up for your first class or give him a call at 818. Oh, my God. There you go. 818-231-1119. And tell them the Fight Mixer sent you. Free trial class for your first class with five-time world champion Godzilla, Mr. Game. Mm. And don't forget Drainer. Oh, Drainer Nutrition. If you want some of the best supplements on the planet and you want to be as badass as Dan to be Severin or Mr. Game, go on DrainerNutrition.com and buy some supplements from DrainerNutrition.com. Awesome sums it up. Pretty much. Wrap it up like a Christmas present. Thank you very much for joining us for the Fight Mixer. We will see you Thursday evening. Thank you very much, Dan, the B7, MMA legend, pro wrestling legend, UFC Hall of Famer. I've been waiting to talk to this guy forever. And he's lived up to my every expectation in our show. I, I hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you very much, everybody, for the Fight Mixer. We'll see you Thursday. Peace. All around good guy. <laughs> the man himself is back. <laughs> well, myself and Dan the Beast Severed signing off from the Fight Mixer. Have a good night, guys. Take care. Take care. Perfect. 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 Perfect.